time of Reagan and before the rise of Seagal, Snipes, and Van Damme, there was an age undreamed of. Unto this land came Arnold the Austrian. He was a barbarian, a demigod, a killer robot from the future, and he was destined to wear the crown of Hollywood upon a troubled brow. It is only his chroniclers, Mike Gillis and Casey Doran, who can tell you of his legend. This is his saga. Podcast de la Vista, baby. So, Casey, I, I think I owe you some kind of an apology. Yahoo! Oh, my <laughs> this, God. This was, uh, uh, I won't belabor the point, but we really did have a thought of, is this enough, Arnold, in, to, make, to make the Arnold movie? And it is and it isn't, it, which is very strange. We are, of course, talking about the villain, a.k.a. in some markets, Cactus, Cactus Jack, Jack. Uh, from the year 1979, directed by legendary stunt performer... Hal Needham, who also directed Smokey and the Bandit, Hooper, The Cannonball Run, Megaforce, and Stroker Ace, from a screenplay by Robert G. Kane, who, as far as I can tell, the only writing credit that he has is a Fred McMurray movie called Kisses for My President. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. Doesn't sound great. <laughs> so, Casey, uh, if you had to try to sum this movie up in a paragraph or two, what is the villain all about? The villain is... If you were to try to make a Bugs Bunny story a Western, and Bugs Bunny is Cactus Jack, a uh, an outlaw, and he's chasing after a girl with money, and uh, he's being protected by a handsome stranger, a very handsome big guy, and he keeps getting foiled by his own foolishness. That's the movie. <laughs> there is so little to the movie. It is a Looney Tunes cartoon in the form of a Western, and that's what it is. And we are joined in this conversation of an episode that I hope we can get to a full hour <laughs> <laughs> by a past guest, returning guest, longtime friend of the show, and co-host of the dearly departed hands-free football podcast, Dave Brulette. Dave, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. Is it me you on the apology to? Or <laughs> I, I owe you I think this is gonna be nothing but an apology tour. <laughs> I, I so this movie now. Uh, what my, did you think of this thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This movie is terrible. I, <laughs> this is a terrible, terrible movie. Um, my um, my wife, who listeners to the show will know, Carol Brulette, she's been on before. She is del a delight. Uh, we have a bi-weekly, and we've just started this in the past few months. We decide, like, a we want a bi-weekly movie night. It's every other Wednesday. We're going to set everything aside. No plans. We don't go out with friends. We don't do anything. We're going to sit down, and we're going to watch a movie. Because oh. what happened was... For a long time, I'd keep going through movie, like going through my streaming services. Like, I want to watch that, eh, but I want to watch it with Carol. I want to watch this, eh, but I want to watch it with Carol. And so we, I just put together a list. Like, okay, we're gonna do these. And then this week is like, hey, I'm gonna be on the show. I got a movie we we're gonna watch. And she's like, what is it? It's like, don't don't worry about it. <laughs> I want you to go you put and it blood. to the top of the pile, and you regretted it, huh? <laughs> so this is like the the turtles. This is apologies all the way down. <laughs> I would say I actually had a little fun with this movie. There are some times it's supposed to be wacky zany live action looney tunes like you said you say bugs bunny i think it's more wildly coyote and roadrunner yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, this it's, is chuck jones yeah 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 and and there are some th what's weird is like for one number one looney tunes does not translate to the real world 
It just doesn't. And so a lot of the gags, which would actually be funny in a cartoon because you can go so over the top when you're drawing it, doesn't now you just see a guy being dragged across the ground or something like like it just doesn't match up. And so you lose all the humor to it. And so you're just kind of left with this mess of like, I don't even know. It's 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 such a strange idea. And it's so funny that it comes from Hal Needham. The notorious stunt double for Mike and I just saw Smoking the Bandit in the theater, uh, courtesy of our favorite uh, movie theater, The Beacon. And Hal Needham being a stunt guy who transitions to becoming a director, um, he, he it kind of feels like he is the person you would have to make this movie, right? We need to make a human being do things that a cartoon would do. How do you how you find this? We want to make a live action Roadrunner cartoon, right? And you say, okay, well, we have we have Hal Needham. Hal Needham would be great because what he can do is create great stunts for this. And you could say that for a certain to a certain extent, he did that with Smokey and the Bandit. Smokey and the Bandit is essentially uh, Burt Reynolds as Bugs Bunny. And Jackie Gleason <laughs> as Yosemite Sam. Right. Okay. Right. And that they managed to keep that going for two hours. And it's great because there's this just spark of creativity and joy in that movie. This movie doesn't have that. And I think a lot of it comes from the script. I think that the script of this movie is incredibly stale. It's not a pastiche of, of Roadrunner cartoons. It's just straight up theft yeah, of it's them. it's a ripoff. Because, I, w- I mean, there's nothing in this movie that feels fresh and new. It's not like I'm going to do something Roadrunner-esque. I'm just going to take something that was literally done in a Roadrunner cartoon and have these actors do it, have it play out exactly the same way. There's not going to be a twist. There's not going to be my neat new take on it. I'm just going to do it, and it's going to feel stale because by the time this movie came out in 1979, those Roadrunner cartoons were probably playing on Saturday mornings for a couple decades at that point. Right. So even for audiences back in 1979, I think this felt stale. I mean, if you, if you were to want to uh, have a great experience of a movie that is a is an homage and a send up of Roadrunner that does really well, Raising Arizona is is the movie because Nicolas Cage plays <laughs> plays the Roadrunner in that movie, basically. Um, but this this is so interesting because uh, there's one thing that I like about it an awful lot is. Kirk Douglas. Yeah. So Kirk Douglas, who's, I think at this point, he's either in his late 50s or early 60s. So he's 61. Yeah. Yeah. He, and of course, Kirk, du- you know, Spartacus, he's been, he's been in movies for, I think, probably four decades at this point. He's obviously the only reason this movie could have been made because Arnold Schwarzenegger was uh, a non-entity and Anne Margaret was just aside, obviously, a, a buxom it girl. <laughs> um, but Kirk Douglas, who has to sort of, he has to be the Jim Carrey, right? He has to sort of recreate the the contortions the emotions and the comedy of a rubbery cartoon character and i'll say he's obviously he's the best part of the movie by far by far because he can well the horse because the horse (laughs) because he, he he's actually a good enough actor that he can sell the stuff that can be sold as funny he actually does sell it and he's He's not. He does not seem to be as embarrassed and as awkward on scene on screen as Anne Margaret and Arnold Schwarzenegger are for <laughs> the entirety of their scenes together. I will say that there are three moments in this movie because we're going to say a lot of negative, unkind things about this movie. That I do want to start by saying three really nice things. These are moments that legitimately made me laugh. I genuinely laughed at these moments. Because the one thing these moments have is that they are surprising. They're surprising and they have a fun payoff. And they all involve Kirk Douglas. 
The first one is that he walks into the saloon. He wants to sidle up to the bar, (laughs) but the bar is full. And he just walks up to this little guy, grabs him with both hands like a sack of potatoes, and literally just throws him away. (laughs) That was really well done. The second one, there's this moment where Kirk Douglas is trying to rob a bank. It goes horribly, and the cops are coming. He tries to throw himself through this window to escape. He crashes through the glass and hits the bars on the window. (laughs) I legitimately laughed at that moment. And then the final one, there's a moment after one of his Wiley e. Coyote stunts fails and blows back on him that he's frustrated and he tries to call his horse to him. He puts his fingers in the corner of his mouth like he's going to whistle and yells his horse's name through the fingers. Whiskey. <laughs> Those moments, genuinely unexpected. They are clever, they are funny, and they are fleeting. But yeah. they do exist. And I think that of all the people that could have pulled this off, I don't think anyone would have thrown themselves into this as much as Kirk Douglas. Like you mentioned, he's 61 years old in this movie, and he is doing a remarkable number of his own stunts. He's right. riding his own horse. He is vaulting off and on of this off of and on of this horse multiple times. Once, like vaulting onto it from behind, effortlessly right. with with very little problems. He's He's doing pratfalls. Um, there's a scene where he is very clearly re- really rappelling down a cliff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, he's doing a lot of his own jumps and falls. And I'm just like, for a guy that's 61, he's doing pretty well for himself. And this movie, frankly, doesn't deserve the amount of effort he's putting into it. That was my exact thought because, like, I guess I did not know Hal Needham was a stunt guy first. And it suddenly makes a lot more sense because I watched this and not just Kirk Douglas's stunts but like all the stunts of the film are outstanding there is some amazing stunt work there's this scene and here's i'll give you a few more that i actually laughed at a few more i thought were kind of funny the very first one the first time he's going to try and stop these because the basic concept is arnold schwarzenegger is escorting Anne margaret and a big pile of money in a wagon and kirk douglas is trying to steal and in a disturbing regularly repeated thing he also wants, wants to, to ravish her he wants yes. to ravish this woman and is like we're gonna get there anyway <laughs> but his first attempt he's sitting there talking to his horse and explaining all right i'm gonna jump off this rock right in front of him and i gotta shoot shoot the gun there that'll freak about and then and, and then and all he of, really fires a gun and he really fires a gun and then finally they're coming and Arnold Schwarzenegger is like digging something out of a bag, so he's not watching. And Margaret doesn't care because she's just like off looking. And so the horse, are, he jumps in front and he's out of bullets because he fired the gun before. <laughs> so they don't know he's there and they run over. That's actually a clever concept. They did it so ham fistedly. It's not, it doesn't come off as funny in the film. But what is amazing is after they run over him, they got that. It's a classic Western stunt of the stagecoach and the guys in between the horses. And yeah, yeah. Sort yeah. of like grabbing the bars as he's being dragged across the ground and goes under the carriage. Yeah. It was an amazing stunt. And it's yeah. really Kirk Douglas. Yeah, that does, it looks, and, that looks amazing. And it absolutely, this movie does not deserve that. Right. <laughs> like, and then it follows it up with the kind of joke that you get for the rest of the movie, which is the first part of it, I'm fine, which is that he's got his spurs that are almost acting like wheels as he's being dragged <laughs> behind this cart. Right. And then his like 
bottom half of his body, it's almost like his pants, still holding the shape as if he's wearing them, is getting pulled down by his suspenders and stretched. <laughs> <laughs> this is the first of many Hanna-Barbera sound of effects course. that you will oh. hear during this movie yep. that will ruin even a really good stunt. See also Live and Let Die. <laughs> Nothing gets better when you put a slide whistle over it. <laughs> no, absolutely. And you will hear a lot of slide whistles. You'll hear a lot of. God, so many fucking sad trombones and trumpets that signal your failure. It's just all constantly like the movie can't just let something exist. It also needs to make you know at any given time what you're supposed to feel. That's also the 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 uh, the extra annoying part about it with this this the score is that it has these interstitial um, songs that are basically narrating the, what the characters are happening, the, the characters are doing, what situation they're in, right? So it's like uh, it's like handsome stranger, blah 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 blah. Where Wait, do you come right. from? But and, which that's that they had that shit in westerns for a long time. But you realize the why, why it was used because nothing exciting is happening in those scenes, and you need music to cover up everything that's just not interesting about Anne Margaret and and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Because there's so much of the movie that if it were just like a regular score. You'd be so fucking bored. It's already boring. Yeah. It would be so much more boring. But the boring. thing is, the songs don't really patch it up because the songs are also boring. Because <laughs> each song has one verse. Handsome stranger, where do you come from? <laughs> right. Something, something, something. Like your, your steely eyes and your pearl-handled gun. And right. it's like, that's that one thing. And then they have one song about uh, Charming Jones, which is Anne Margaret's character, because everyone has such a... St- stupid on the nose name <laughs> charming jones and her father parody jones parody and, jones yes. and and arnold's name is literally handsome stranger <laughs> which by the way i i was so mad about that for the first like 20 minutes of the movie the joke for that that's one that made me laugh out loud the mm-hmm. whole joke of well or it's like what's your actual name it's like no my name's handsome stranger why'd you get that name oh i'm named after my father Oh, he must be real nice. I don't know. I never met him. <laughs> the whole the whole idea is like his mom just slept with a handsome. Well, okay, I got a handsome stranger. His mom didn't even know who she was sleeping with. Like that was funny. I actually laughed out loud. And the same with the charming. It's like oh, when my when my mom told my dad she was pregnant, his first words are like, "Isn't that charming?" Mm-hmm. Like those are actually decent jokes. Once again, deserving a better movie around. Deserving them. better people <laughs> delivering those lines. Because when you finally get to these like. Hanna-Barbera sound effects playing over Chuck Jones, Tex Avery, like Looney Tunes jokes where you have that sort of whistling boulder that's coming down on you. Um, you've got the, the paper mache boulder. The paper mache <laughs> boulder. There are two boulders, two separate <laughs> gags involving him getting run over by a boulder. <laughs> like they couldn't even go without repeat. I'm on it. I'm to this day. I still think the most shocking thing about this movie is they didn't have something explode and leave like black soot on his face. Right. Right. Yeah. It's the one thing they even have the thing where he has it like, I don't know this other dimensional space that he's pulling things out of, including like barrels that are marked glue. I, I can't believe not one of his things said Acme on it. Yeah. And I think if there was ever a perfect, oh a perfect metaphor for this movie, it's the fact that Cactus Jack, that's Kirk Douglas's character is always reading out of this like dime novel about right. the bad men of the West. And 
it's like the perfect metaphor because he is literally stealing all of his plans <laughs> from other people's ideas. And that's what this movie does. Yeah. Is that he's just constantly going, oh, okay, I know what I'm going to do. To the point that he literally does the most famous, you know, roadrunner gag of all and paints a tunnel onto the side of a mountain. <laughs> yeah, right. And guess what happens? I don't know. Have you ever seen a roadrunner cartoon? <laughs> this would have been a great moment. I mean, like a modern person wanting to do a Roadrunner cartoon, they would have done that. And they said, let's let's do the twist. Let's do this and play it in another way that'll be surprising. And you think it's about to do the Roadrunner, but it does something clever instead. Because the Roadrunner one was clever in 1942, 1942. <laughs> right, right. when you first did it. And it's still funny well, because it has a comic timing of when an animated it, when it character. Was a, when it was a gag that was in service of the medium. Yeah. And the medium was, look what you can do with some simple lines and some paint. Uh, in a cartoon that can fool your eyes into thinking one thing's another. It's a gag about you being a person watching a cartoon reality and how cartoons are so simple that those two things can exist, coexist, right? Once it becomes, he's literally painting on the side of a, you know, of like a, like a constructed wall and you can see the imperfections on it and it cuts to the shot that has the mat on it and it's just a big black blob so the cart, the cart can go through. You're like, well, it destroys the, the illusion of the joke. The I, joke yeah. is dead. Yeah, I mean, it's the, the whole joke is the one you've seen a thousand times. Oh, hey, I painted a tunnel because I want the, the people that I'm trying to rob to crash into the side of a cliff thinking it's a tunnel. But then, go! The universe bends to the will of these oblivious people. They sail right through the tunnel as if it's real. And then I try to run after them and I smack into the wall. That's the right. whole joke. We've seen it a thousand times. Right. They don't even do a new spin on it. I mean, because that would have been a great moment because you give this to, say, like, Key and Peele. <laughs> right. And say, right. I want you guys to do a live action, like, Roadrunner cartoon. Even if it's just three minutes long on Key and Peele as a sketch. They would have taken something you recognize and then made something new from that thing that they know you already know instead of just recreating it. But because it's animated and you're, try you're trying to do it now in live action it just looks worse than it did in the 1940s when Chuck Jones made it look amazing because there's a level of timing that you just can't have. Right. I mean, they even have the moment where Kirk Douglas is hanging off the side of this cliff to try to get a look at Anne Margaret while she's like changing and he's holding onto this root that's hanging on the side of the cliff. And of course it pulls right out and he hangs there in midair like Wiley e. Coyote mm -hmm. and stares right at the camera with that. Uh Oh, the only thing he doesn't do is hold up the little sign <laughs> and then he falls and they cut to a shot of a legitimately scary fall from a stunt man. And then the last like four or five feet is Kirk Douglas really landing in the water, which I wouldn't want to do that fall that Kirk Douglas just did, <laughs> right. let alone what he just had that stunt guy do. <laughs> right. But I'd love to see this sort of death-defying risk-taking being done in the service of something better, something original, because you look at, like, again, Smokey and the Bandit, something that, that Hal Needham did just two years before this, and it's so much better. It's so yeah. much better and it feels fresh and it feels new, even though it's very clearly drawing on the spirit of Bugs Bunny moments where you see like Bandit gets the best of the cops and he pulls up and just spikes the camera with a shit eating grin. <laughs> yeah. That's just so fucking charming. But it's just that moment of Bugs Bunny, ain't I a stinker? <laughs> but you don't do it exactly. And you don't do you do something completely new. You use an entirely new backdrop 
to do something that's like the thing that you love. You know, the same way that like Tarantino takes things from movies that he loves, recontextualizes them, makes them newer, makes them fresher, mixes them with other things. But we're just we're using the things that still have dust on them from the 1940s. Yeah. I, I have a question for you, because um, I'm guessing this is the first time you've watched this movie. Yes. I want you to think very, very carefully about how you answer this. Did Cactus Jack fuck a pig? <laughs> Did Cactus Jack fuck a pig? Answer the question. Don't wait for the translation. <laughs> answer the question. I want to show you my notes <laughs> where I have, did he fuck a pig? <laughs> yes. <laughs> And it was How? one of those cute potbelly pigs, too. Yeah, with it, a bow on its head. Yes. This movie, this he movie get, definitely is afraid that you might think that Cactus Jack is gay. <laughs> Just rest assured, this pig seems to be a girl. I, I believe I shouted, what kind of Black Mirror shit is this? Because <laughs> like, totally, I was trying to figure this fucking movie out. I mean, that, that's one of those jokes like the bars on the windows that... Is not d- drawn directly from Looney Tunes. Is yeah. is another type of like toilet humor, or, like goofy gag seventies stuff. Yeah, right? do something strange, you yeah. know. And I I think strange is good because I was looking at different ways this movie could have gone. And this is the I know this isn't really good film criticism, but this is the <laughs> gravity well that always pulls me in of trying to fix a movie that I don't think is good. Uh, try to fix a movie and saying, well, what could this movie have been instead of what it was? And I think like, okay, well, you could have gone the sort of Blazing Saddles or Airplane Mel Brooks, you know, Zucker Brothers kind of route. And you could have just gone full on absurdity. And those movies are silly, but those movies have these original gags in them. I watched something like Airplane or The Naked Gun. And what makes those movies work is despite the fact that what's happening on screen is so ridiculous, the characters are acting like they're in an episode of Dragnet or they're in like Airplane 1977. Right. So they're acting like they're so stoic and they're so serious men of action. But what's happening behind them is this most ludicrous shit. (laughs) And that's what makes it funny is they refuse to laugh at it. They don't act like they're in a comedy. They act like they're in this almost antiquated drama. It's like, you know, the sort of medical drama acting from the 70s. (laughs) This movie could have gone in that route too, but it didn't. It just, it feels like it just doesn't work. I I feel like there's a a thing about, because when when I was thinking about like, oh, how do they, how do they make these tropes of a Western seem funny? What, what gag is they're going to base off it? And, and the only thing I could think of is um, Top Secret, which is one of Al Kil- Kilmer's early movies that's in this sort of uh, just goofy parody stuff. Classic. Um, yeah, it's, like this, a, I like, it's basically a mix between a spy movie and an Elvis movie. Right, right. <laughs> it's It's got this scene where he walks into a bar and then it ch- suddenly it changes and the bar is underwater. And so he's doing all of the things that would happen in a Western, like flipping over a table and having a bar fight and drinking, a, you know, and it's all happening in a swimming pool or something. That makes it hilarious. It takes the same tropes that you've seen in every other comedic saloon scene and does it underwater. That's what I wanted to see. I think that's what you're more of you're talking about is that is that if you're going to do the same gag that you've seen in a Western and even comedy Westerns has been done a thousand times. Do something that's just utterly surprising and you're just like, oh, that's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think the other thing too is that this movie came too early in the career of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Right. Who right. despite oh. the fact this is an Arnold Schwarzenegger podcast, we've hardly talked about him. Yeah. Is he's, that so he's third build. He's third build. Yep. One of the last times that would ever happen to him. Right. Um I don't think it would ever happen post Conan nope. until Probably, Robin, you know, Batman and Robin. Probably, no, he's first build in Batman oh, is he and first Robin. Build? Oh, so probably not till 
I guess, the era we're living in now. Mm. We would expect him to not automatically be first build. Not, but, ca- not counting, like, cameos in Around the World yeah, 90 Days and stuff. Like, he's not going to be first build in, like, his cameo that he appears in, like, The Expendables right, 2. Right, right, right. So, Arnold Schwarzenegger has a role that would be tailor-built for the 80s version of Arnold Schwarzenegger, which is fish, he's... Fish out of water, straight man, right. Sort of a Dudley Do-Right guy who's dressed like the way a cowboy would act in the sort of heroic singing uh, cowboy. Apparently he's wearing the original Lone Rangers costume minus the mask. Yeah. Yeah. He's got this like powder blue sort of outfit with a gun belt and it's got like black piping on it and a bright white hat and he's got the twin guns on his belt. Um, the problem is, is that Arnold isn't Arnold yet. This is only four years after he filmed Pumping Iron, which you were mm-hmm. on to t- talk to us with. Right. Um, two years after that movie was released. So I guess at this point, I got, he's got to be thinking, man, Lou Ferrigno won. Because <laughs> Lou Ferrigno at this point in time, this movie's he's, the Hulk. he's the Hulk. He's on TV. Um, and Arnold is kind of, he's in a better role than a lot of muscle guys would get at that point. They would be like henchmen for villains or they'd be wearing a rubber monster suit and something. A role that he's already played in several movies at this point. Yeah. And I just, I look at this and I go, the problem is that Arnold isn't comfortable in his own skin yet. And you see him just a few years later and he doesn't feel stiff. Like when you watch him basically ad-libbing and being himself, and albeit an exaggerated version of himself, in Pumping Iron, he's so, so comfortable. He's so unfazed by all the stuff that's happening. He seems to be above stress. Um, and he's charming. He's charming and he's relaxed. And he doesn't feel relaxed here. His character is like stoic and quiet. And I feel like that's a choice that they made to limit the amount of time that Arnold Schwarzenegger would talk. Right. I, 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 I assume it was a thing where they they got they got a, they got this get and it was pretty good getting someone who looks like Arnold in in a movie like this because you're just like oh look at this fucking huge monster of a man who's that, there particularly and then, particularly in a Looney Tunes style movie right. like that's the guy you're gonna get in those days like he looks like a Looney Tune yeah he, he looks like you could put him in sort of a Dudley Do Right sort of thing the problem is is that. Well, there's you, no, you got to make him a bigger, broader he, character. No, but he has one joke. Yeah, the, his the entire the entire running gag is is Anne Margaret's horny and Arnold's know, oblivious. And Arnold's totally oblivious. That's that's it. Yeah, that's the, this movie it. is as 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 persistent as Cactus Jack is to rob them. <laughs> and Margaret is trying to fuck Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> to zero success. This entire movie. That the thing is, I, it's hard to tell if Arnold is oblivious. If Arnold is so innocent that he literally doesn't understand what she's saying, or if he's just not interested, it's hard to tell because this is something actually I was really surprised. I feel like most movies, particularly in the 70s and 80s, would go the gay joke route. Yeah. And the fact that this movie just never went there. Actually, like I was when I got done, like, that's something I will give this movie. I will I will praise this movie for not going to the obvious gross place. Mm-hmm. And it, it went a really gross place in the end, but it wasn't that gross place. Also gross in every scene with Paul Lind. Oh, yeah. I mean, so, yeah, so <laughs> well, say you could, it, everything where there was uh, yeah. any kind of Native Americans oh. being portrayed by... Was there a swastika oh, on, the, on one of those horses? There was the, uh, there was a yellow, uh, the Buddhist swastika. Okay. Not the Nazi one, the one that's, instead of tilted, it's... <laughs> It doesn't make any sense at all because it's not like the uh, the yeah. Native Indians were Buddhists at all. It was just a weird as, thing. As, as Carol put it, either you know enough about Cherokees to 
put that there right and then you wouldn't put it there or you don't know and you just thought you put a swastika on a horse either way what the hell is that doing there it's yeah it's <laughs> possible that that's also so some, anyway, even anyways. though this movie isn't homophobic rest assured it's still racist oh, it's very <laughs> very racist terrible. and and ableist and oh <laughs> sexist God. And... so but i think you could break down the structure of this movie into several steps the first step one Arnold Schwarzenegger as the handsome stranger and Anne Margaret as charming Jones are riding along on to them an uneventful trip on a carriage through a dirt road. Step two, Cactus Jack, played by Kirk Douglas, stands atop a cliff, wringing his hands together at his latest Wiley e. Coyote scheme. <laughs> he tries to drop a boulder on them or paint a paint a uh, tunnel on the side of a cliff. Uh, d- blah 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 blah. You've seen Chuck Jones cartoons before. It spectacularly backfires and blows him up, drops him off a cliff, drops him in water, crushes him, him, whatever. Get him run over by a train. (laughs) Step three, but this step three is optional because it doesn't always happen. Paul Lind, as a Native American chief, this is a white character actor. You might recognize him most as Center Square on Hollywood Squares for like a decade. (laughs) Right. Also Templeton the Rat in the animated Charlotte's Web. Um, Him and his number two who's kind of his smithers. I was like, I don't know, chief, that guy sure looks like he's in trouble. And then he makes some stupid joke. Like they're the two old guys from the Muppet show. Right. <laughs> Step four, Arnold and charming Jones ride on their way, oblivious that anything ever happened. Step five, rinse and repeat. That is like 95% of this movie. Right. Yep. Yep. And, there's a reason why those Looney Tunes cartoons from the 1930s and 40s were five to seven minutes long. <laughs> because in a in a seven minute long Roadrunner cartoon, you would see the coyote try to kill the Roadrunner. Three, four times? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. What you don't see him is doing it like 11 times in a row <laughs> over 90 minutes. Because you find out there's diminishing returns. That the joy of those old cartoons that these are silly, these are silly, incredibly simple character archetypes that you can just project one joke on, and it can be really funny in short bursts. And then you don't see that character again until you go to the movie theater again. Okay, so I I, I think I'm gonna ch- I'm gonna challenge this a little bit, but I agree with your thesis overall. I think that the first maybe 15 minutes of the movie where you basically have you introduce cactus jack you introduce charming jones and her father and then you introduce arnold schwarzenegger and place them those pieces on the board has some of has some limit like like you were saying like the him trying to blow up the um trying to blow up the safe and the safe being empty and then him going to jail and the guy trying to buy him out like there's some stuff there that's kind of funny Kind of interesting, kind of wacky. It's hinting um, at a better movie. It's, it, yes, and then of course, then it then it goes into the pattern that you say, which is just the, do that cycle and repeat, or like repeat it over and over again. That first like ten or so minutes, you're just like, hmm, there could there could be something here. Yeah, yeah. but then the like the middle like fifty minutes of the movie is basically just an extended Roadrunner cartoon where you set up, you execute, you follow through, reset, everything is back to one. You know, whatever you did to Cactus Jack is undone. You know, he can just like pull, 
a, a bucket of glue or a bomb or a boulder or a priest costume out of thin air. He just has a pipe organ. I don't know where he got that other team I mean, of horses, but you could kind of a- you could kind of say that it's sort of that that formula that you're talking about is sort of what what how uh, how Lee Needham did for um, smoking the bandit, mm-hmm. where it was sort of like okay, you set up the stuff. Now we just got now we have now, now Smokey's going. Then he'll meet the girl, um, and then we'll just do all these situations. We'll just be like, what stunt do we want to do today? Like, what do we want to have Smokey get into and get out of today? But the fun part with that there's a, there's a continuity that's still happening during Smoking the Bandit that you get to watch the slow, gradual, piecemeal destruction right. of Jackie Gleason's <laughs> cop car over the course of that movie. And his humiliation. That yes. It just gets worse for him. That it gets a little bit worse, that he's a little bit more humbled, he's a little bit more destroyed. By the end, that car is wrecked. It is wrecked. I mean, they, they <laughs> you get to see every part of that cop car get destroyed by the end of that movie. And that's the thing you don't see here, because every time you see Cactus Jack fail... He gets reset. His clothing is back to the way that it was. His horse, his gun, everything is back to the way it was. And again, so are Arnold Schwarzenegger and Margaret. They're also just riding down the road. They didn't notice anything that happened in the last scene. It's almost like you could have cut this movie in almost any order and it would still work. And it's fine to do that in a seven-minute cartoon where you have three of those moments it's a very different thing to say, I'm going to do this for like 50 minutes in a row. Because it just, after a while, you just, you end up doing the thing that I think is like the, it's the time where you call death on a movie. <laughs> which is that it's the second time you look at the clock mm, yeah. to see where in the movie how, you are how much, at. How much longer do I got to deal yeah. with this? Yeah. yeah the, the When you pause the movie and check that, the first time you're just kind of like, holy shit, a bunch of time went by. I'm almost done. Versus, oh shit, I've done this twice now <laughs> and I'm only halfway through this movie. And, and it's funny because I, I also think, cause, because I had that very specific experience of pausing at least three times to find out, oh god, how much longer do I have? This is an hour and 40 minute movie. So when you say that 50 minute section, it's longer than 50 minutes. Everything in this movie is longer than you think it is. Because it's because you just check out that opening sequence. I think that's a good 20, 25 minutes. Yeah, I think you're probably right about that. And honestly, like I, I, I had my notes like this is way too long of an opening to set up this situation. You need three or four scenes to set up, set this up. But they had they had to spend ten minutes where I'm supposed to laugh at a guy because he stutters. They had right. I will the the actor who played the telegraph uh telegraph guy who stutters was the guy who wrote the songs for the yeah. movie and his performance was good I would say that 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 sort of comedic bit that you don't they don't do that anymore obviously no you don't the, the like a, a vaudeville comedian who the gag is is like he can't get to he's a da 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 he can't get through it but I love that at a certain point he goes. You know, he, he like he 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 gets a stutter and then he hits the little bell at his at his desk, ding, and then he can keep going. And then at a certain point, he has this hilarious musical bridge where he goes yes. like, oh, and it's it is unexpected, and it's one of those things where it's like, no, this was a real comedic performance. This small section, as kind of mean spirited as it is for people who are do have stutters, um. This l- tiny little window of like a minute and a half is a well thought out comedic performance by a co- by a comic actor. Well, and I think yeah, the perf- I don't want to knock his ability to give that performance, but I think like the difference between this movie and a good movie is you have a guy who stutters, you put something in his place that he needs to communicate, 
you this guy didn't matter the only joke was hey look at him he's stuttering yeah there's no other sort of conflict built in oh. there's no other... oh i'm not saying it was set up well <laughs> i'm saying that i think the performance the guy's performance yeah, is right good. he's better at doing a thing that he shouldn't have done right <laughs> but i think this is the problem with the movie is i think this movie is the best possible version of a movie you can make with this script mm-hmm. and those last three words are the most important with this script <laughs> Is I think that if you had done something a lot closer to the beginning that involved, you know, Jack Elam, the the villainous character. I love that guy. Who disappears from the movie after the first 20 minutes. And I knew him from like the Apple Dumpling Gang. Um, Jack, Jack Elam lived in Southern Oregon where uh, where I grew up. So I always knew, always knew him and he came on TV all the time and you'd see him in the newspaper and stuff. But how much more fun would this movie have been if it was just set in this town and it was about... Um, about Cactus Jack trying to rob that bank over and over, if you still want to do the Looney Tunes thing. But you have more characters, there's more stuff happening, there's more of a plot. You get to have a lot more fun with a lot more set pieces that way than the same dirt track, the same cliff overlooking the same dirt track, and, you know, the same three fucking songs playing every (laughs) five minutes. I, I would be remiss. Carol would be very mad at me if I did not bring up the end of the film. This is oh, yeah. the reverse of a conversation we were having ooh, earlier ooh. about like the moment the ooh. credits roll and you're just staring. Literally, Carol was sitting there watching us going, ah, <laughs> it's, just this high pitch, like, what did I just see? It's They're making pretty... you watch the movie all over again. <laughs> God. <laughs> so the big, big climax of the film is finally Cactus Jack gets a uh, handsome stranger and charming exactly where he wants him. And he's explaining like, you know, I'm going, you know, that's it. I've had it. I'm going to take, I could do what I've been doing this whole time. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to take the money. And Anne Margaret, who once again, as Casey, you've mentioned, she has been trying to get Arnold to jump her the entire just, film. Just horny, just horny. That's it. That's her character trait yep. is she's horny. And, She's like, what else are you going to do? And he looks at her. He's like, well, ravish the lady. And she's like, well, then I'm with you. And she's like, basically, her character arc is I'm so horny that I will jump on a rapist. That, <laughs> that is the, the final joke. big the joke, joke climax of the movie. And then she kisses him. And Kirk Douglas's character starts bouncing around. They literally play the Looney Tunes melody. And they speed it up like King's, the Keystone Cops. And yeah. apparently, and I, right. I, when I was reading the, uh, the trivia on this, because, you know, when they film movies... And they have them, you know, in a sort of a aspect ratio. This is probably, you would know what the ratio is. It's like a 16.5 or. Yeah. It's the widescreen theater it's format. A, it would be called Academy Academy ratio. Right. Yes. And so it's a widescreen format, but they film actually in full square and then they chop out the top and bottom. Yeah. Yep. When they translate this to TV, rather than closing in or doing letterbox they just showed the whole thing so apparently on the tv version you just see him jumping on a bunch of trampolines that's awesome you can see oh my all of the trampolines there there's another so scene awesome. where like he jumps on the horse and you can see a guy off camera reach out and pull the trampoline away so the horse doesn't <laughs> walk over it like on the tv version they just all the stuff that they knew was not going to be in there when that's they cut it great i would love right- to see that <laughs> that would be the probably the one instance where i would rewatch this movie is just to see that, just to see the, the full, oh the full mat version, full mat. Yeah, this this movie could have been good. 
could this could have been good. I'm not sure it could have. I don't I, think. I think with a new script, universe. I think this is really one where Hell Needham had to just go. Okay, the, I like the idea here on paper. Hell Needham, the guy who did Smokey and the Bandit with Kirk Douglas and Margaret Arnold Schwarzenegger, we're going to do a screwball western that plays up like it's going to be a live action cartoon. We're going to do some crazy stunts and it's going to be fun. Arnold Schwarzenegger is going to be this straight arrow guy who's probably a little bit Dudley Do Right. Probably a little bit silly and oblivious, and and Mark, you could even do and Margaret is horny the whole time too, and Arnold just doesn't see it. Uh, but the thing Arnold needs to do, he needs to fuck some shit up. Is something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He needs to fucking do something. Yeah. He spends most of this movie. This is a guy with his physique who can do action stuff, sitting down. Either he's sitting at the restaurant not eating a steak. <laughs> or he's sitting at the at the at the reins of a carriage or sitting at the campfire he's sitting 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 <laughs> he never does anything you don't get to see him do anything crazy you do get to see plenty of Kirk Douglas doing something like there's a moment in this movie where he's showing off where he's talking about what he's going to do with all that money and he's twirling a gun and he's like flipping it from one hand to the other and he's like moving it over his shoulder, catching it behind his back like it's a pair of nunchucks. And I'm like, Kirk Douglas is really just yeah. doing there's, this. There's a lot of, I mean, that, that's the one thing that impressed me the most is that this, this being the second time I've, I've seen it all the way through, just the business, the actor's business that Kirk Douglas comes up with here is impressive given the blandness but in contrast to the blandness of the rest of the movie where you kind of are, you're very bored at a certain point you're very bored and you're like you're looking for stuff that's surprising and what's surprising is Kirk Douglas is a fucking fantastic actor yeah you know and that's it's a it's a genuine treat I mean he's to see fucking Spartacus <laughs> he was in Paths of Glory Pants of Glory um <laughs> No, yeah, you, a better version of this movie of Arnold Schwarzenegger be the strong guy who doesn't know his own strength, and there are a bunch of gags about him walking through a door or him being able to crush something, but him not being able to catch catch Cactus Jack. Or you, you know? just make him the the oblivious straight arrow good guy sheriff of this small town that's trying to stop this guy from robbing a bank, but he's so good and so oblivious, but he has God mode turned on, and that's what <laughs> makes him frustrated. And you turn Cactus Jack into Daffy Duck. Daffy yeah. Duck, who the universe just keeps humiliating, no matter his big plans, no matter his his frustration that keeps growing at this guy who just bumbles into victory every single time. But he's but it's almost like the universe likes and sides with Arnold because he's just so just so goddamn swell. And the fact that he's just so morally pure and he's an idiot. Right. But things just fall in his lap and backfire <laughs> on people who try to hurt him. I mean, that could be fun, but it would require Arnold to do something. And I think this movie doesn't realize yet who they have. They don't know that they have a guy that you can do stuff with. They don't know the future that we know. We look at Arnold and we see, oh, in a couple of years, he's going to be in Terminator. In a couple of years after that, he's going to be in Predator and Total Recall and all these things. Back then, I don't think Hal Needham saw him as the guy he could potentially be and used him to his potential. I think he said, this guy's an attraction. Look how big he is. That's like a special effect in its own. Let him be that and we'll limit his liability by cutting down his talking rather than realizing the fact that he sounds like he's from out of town. Maybe he's a guy who came on a boat from Austria because he read books about cowboys. (laughs) That sounds like something fun. Like a guy from another country who found out, oh my God, I read a dime novel about these guys and I want to go be one of those guys so he dresses like a character in a dime novel in a real western kind of world that could be fun but instead he gets nothing to do 
I can't think of another Arnold movie where you can say you could replace him with anybody else and you would not notice a difference in the film. <laughs> I can't think of a single Arnold movie where that's true other than this one. Yeah. Like he is always that, you know, it's why it's why he's worthy of an entire podcast series on his own. Right. It's why it's why he was the highest paid actor for at like half a decade, maybe even a full decade. It's why he was always the biggest draw in everything he did is because you put him in films where that are built around him and nobody else could do that. Nobody yeah. else could be that. Nobody else could make that movie what it is. And it's not just action. It's his comedy movies. It's, you know, it's kindergarten cop. Nobody else could make kindergarten cop what it was than Arnold. Same with junior, same with uh, twins. You know, he's just this, presence and force on screen and no like i don't know you're, you're absolutely right mike like i don't know how you no, don't notice that about him and it's like yeah we're just gonna have him sit there the whole time and not notice that this woman wants to jump his bones it's i mean the one part of the movie where arnold gets the most to say ends up sounding like he's ad-libbing he's doing a flashback to how i saved your dad right no, what, what, how your dad no, saved or, me or, or, right but there, then he never dad never shows up in the flashback right. but but so it's this whole like it's this voiceover that arnold is doing and i think he's letting him he's not memorized it i think he's letting him do a little bit of ad lib on this like explain your character's backstory with the dad or whatever and it's really clunky and mm -hmm. it doesn't come together and he's not he's not finishing set he sounds like me he's not finishing <laughs> sentences and it's re like really, really cringeworthy. And then all the times that you get the scenes where you actually get um, with him and Anne Margaret and you get a close up of him, he's just doing nothing. He's, he's like blank. He's just and, doing absolutely and, nothing. And another example of why I'm not sure, like, I, I agree with you, Mike, that like, I can see those core ideas that would work. But like this team, I don't think we're ever going to make a good movie is because there are concepts in here that are genuinely funly funny the idea that he chased down the stampeding horses and it actually ended up being the fire department trying to put out a fire <laughs> and he posted after, that's actually a funny concept i didn't laugh when i watched it because they right. didn't do it well they didn't yeah. none of these things even the ones that there was good ideas there the whole seven shooter six shooter the mm -hmm. the seven bullet six shooter <laughs> where he's so convinced no i've fired the sixth time there's no more bullets in here like that's a funny concept and you can do something and what they did was it, it did i didn't laugh i didn't enjoy it's like oh i see where this is going okay that's the most reaction i got out of a lot of these gags but that's the problem is that this thing is structured one it doesn't do anything surprising so not only is it not surprising but it draws out the payoff so you spend a lot of time knowing where it's going <laughs> yeah and going get on with it come on speed up here it's like come on I know he, I know Cactus Jack is going to run into the side of that cliff. Just get it over with. Just get <laughs> it over with. And it's the ones that are quick and fast, moments that are genuinely entertaining where, you know, Kirk Douglas steps on a bottle and the way he falls down is really fun. Yeah. yeah. Or his, his horse stealing his blanket what cracked me up. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the stuff you can do and you don't need the Roadrunner plot to do all that stuff, you know. And again, you know, just over and over again, him putting his fingers in his mouth to whistle, but then he yells his horse's name through his fingers. <laughs> I mean, stuff like that is is clever and it's fun and it's charming. And it also plays in the fact that he's frustrated. <laughs> so he's going to screw up. And I like that. But I guess let's just get it over with. Yeah. The questions. <laughs> the questions. Is the villain. No. <laughs> 
<laughs> he couldn't even wait. Not a good See, movie. See, I'm going to be like the villain. I'm going to draw this out and make you know what's coming. But I'm going to make you think it takes forever. So is the villain a good movie? It is, it is just so frustrating. Even the parts that I liked. I was almost embarrassed to like parts that I liked. Like I was almost like, this movie doesn't hasn't earned enough for me to enjoy that gag there. It's just so everything was done so ham fistedly. They just it's it's too long. It's too it's too repetitive. And yeah, it's like, you know, what's coming the entire time. And there's nothing surprising or fun about it. So I'm not nothing. I we, we covered there is actually these weird shining moments. They're, through it, they're not worth waiting 100 no. minutes for, though. Um, No, the only reason why I would watch it, like I said, is to see the open mat version. That would be <laughs> the full mat version of it would be cool. Um. There is, unfortunately, I don't even think that there's a single Arnold moment that I think that you can give him. There's there's lots of, like, gimmies for Kirk Douglas. There's lots of little things you could take out and make, like, a YouTube supercut of gags that Krista, or just faces that Kirk Douglas is making that are good, that are funny in and of themselves. There is just nothing you can pull out here um, that'll make you be like, oh, this is Arnold showing his potential. There's just nothing. It's just nothing. Yeah. Not worth it. Sorry. It's it's not good. It's really, really not good. <sighs> Circumstances forced us to delay the recording of this episode for a week, so I had to watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like I was being dragged behind <laughs> behind a carriage because this movie, when you've already seen it twice, feels even longer. It gets right. a little longer every time. It's like one of those YouTube videos that says, we slow down every time somebody says this word. <laughs> <laughs> and... It just, when you know all the jokes, you find yourself looking forward down to like the five to six things that you actually like, either because it's like, wow, that's a really cool stunt. Oh my God. I can't believe a 61 year old man is able to move like this, even with a trampoline to leap on a horse like that. I wouldn't be able to do that. Leaping on and off the saddle, taking falls, doing pratfalls, like flipping the gun around. Kirk Douglas is great. I don't know if he had like gambling debts or what, but <laughs> Jesus Christ, he owed, owed a favor to somebody. I'm guessing. He really did yeah. because I mean, Jesus Christ, not even Burt Reynolds would do this movie for Hell Needham, and those guys were best buds. So I just <laughs> I look at this and I just go, man, this movie has no right with the parts that are involved in it to be as bad as it is. It feels like there's a lot of bad decisions that had to be made in a row and then by the time you even got Hal Needham and Arnold Schwarzenegger and and Kirk Douglas and Anne Margaret in place those decisions were set and there was no fixing what you'd already put in motion all you could it's like the end of an uncut gems where you just have to watch that shit play out and oh my god it's just I am never watching this movie again I am never watching this movie again and this isn't even the worst thing Arnold's ever been in but at least in those other bad movies he was still getting to be Arnold. Right. Which leads us, of course, to our next question. Is the villain a good Arnold Schwarzenegger movie? Nope. No. No. They they didn't know what to do with him. And it's it's so early on in his career. Like, partially, it's like they did not know how charming and capable he was. He may not have known that. Like, we got flashes of it in Pumping Iron and everything, but that was him trying to be himself and, you know, kind of BSing it up a little. But, like, being put in a situation where it's like, no, 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 you are one of the three leads of this film. You need to carry this film. And I don't think he knew. And they did, had no way to figure out how to get it out of him. I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of not in the, I'm not in the point where I'm sort of buying that because in, in we, if you don't count 
Hercules in New York. Um, cause it was so, so he was so young and that was such a shitty low budget affair. Um, you know, he was in streets of San Francisco. He had that, um, that, that bit on the Lucy, Lucy show on the Lucy show. Right. Um, he was in long goodbye as the, as the bodyguard. We're ignoring the fact that before, um, this movie, before the villain came out, he was in stay hungry and stay hungry is, I think you will probably agree, probably not, not. A, a much less of a presence in the movie than even in this one, even though Arnold Schwarzenegger is on screen a lot. Stay Hungry, he's a minor character that's in there. And he wins a Golden Globe for that yeah. movie. He plays, he basically plays an, an Arnold Schwarzenegger type character that's given some sort of outlandish and cool, outlandish and silly and sometimes heartwarming things to do. That movie really actually does use him better than everything else that he had done in the 70s. Um, so they really, they would have had no excuse to not have figured out what what made Arnold Schwarzenegger so great and how they could weaponize that to make him a, a better part of the movie. I, I think that if they had seen him in Stay Hungry, they would have known a little more about how do you take this weird, weirdly shaped guy and how do you play up to his strengths? They just didn't do it. Yeah, I, I'm in the same way. This is almost not an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, despite the amount of screen time he gets in it. Because again, one, he never gets to do anything. You don't get him the feats of strength. You don't get the catchphrase. You like limit his speaking. It's almost like you're afraid of his accent. And they haven't yet realized that his accent is one of his selling points, that people like hearing that accent. And that accent would actually work really well for this character. Is this the only Arnold Schwarzenegger, except for maybe the newer ones, is this the only Arnold Schwarzenegger movie where um, he's an extended character where you don't actually see his chest? I think so. Because you he, don't see his butt or his legs or his chest at all. He's just in that suit. You don't even see time. his arms in this movie. Yeah. Um, he's always in costume. It's everything. You only see his hands and his head, um, which is a bit weird. <laughs> but it's definitely something where if this movie had been made five years later, not even that, Arnold's performance would have been one a lot better because he grows so fast as a performer during this time mm -hmm. that you see him in like the Terminator and he's already a lot more comfortable in his own skin. And then you see him just a couple of years later, like Predator, I think, is sort of the moment when it happened. Right. We've, we've talked about that. Yep. The moment where Arnold really is comfortable in his own skin, then he knows how to hit the lines in exactly the right way, that he's funny and charming, that he's comfortable on screen, that he that the world knows what they want from him and he knows how to give it to them. But in this movie, it's like they're afraid to let the things that make him different out. They there. It seems like the movie's almost disappointed that he doesn't have some Anglo name and some regular American accent. And they're trying to hide it. It was like, Oh God, he sounds like that when he talks, don't let him talk instead of going, Hey, this guy is from overseas. He came over because he wants to be a cowboy really, really badly. And look how he dresses in this bright powder blue tight outfit that accentuates his muscles and this bright white hat. And he bases everything he knows in a cowboy from what he's read in books. That's a fun character to throw in the middle of this movie. The guy who wants to be the goody two shoes hero because he read it in a dime novel and he's going to be that hero. And he has the muscles to make it happen happen and how frustrating a character like that could be to a character like cactus jack right who would just daffy duck it up as he just fails to overcome this guy over and over and over again because you know he's despicable <laughs> <laughs> but i mean you just you look that, at this that and would just, be a better movie it's a better it movie would be a better movie and you know what he needs to become is he needs to become the character that he absolutely nails 
like nine years later in Twins. Yep. That yep. the thing that his character does, and this is a strange thing, you never hear somebody say this about a guy, but Arnold needs to smile more. Yeah. <laughs> Arnold at one has a great smile, and that smile is is wonderful. And it he when he beams in a movie, especially in something like Twins, which I can't wait to talk about oh on another God. episode because I, I love next, that. I movie. think that's next up, I think. And it's like he has this aura about him that is so sincere and genuine in that movie that if you could inject that element in this movie where he is loquacious and he's excited to be there and he's talkative and he thinks of everyone as a new friend and he's he's a guy who is a fish out of water, which fits to his physique, it fits to his accent, and it lets him be genuine and charming and it would fit to the kind of cartoonish nature of this movie. You make him a Dudley do-right, upright hero. But I don't know if he's there yet in his career, and Hollywood isn't ready to give him that. They don't see what they have, and they botch it this big is, time. So this is the only Western that Arnold Schwarzenegger has ever been in since, then and since. Yeah, it's a shame. <laughs> <laughs> So, Dave, I want to thank you for joining us for this episode. Absolutely. I actually had a lot of fun, and I, yeah, I'm so thrilled to be here, and I was willing to come back. I, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> we haven't driven you away yet. But you know, Dave Brulette from the uh, dearly departed and deeply missed Hands-Free Football podcast, thank you so much for being on. If, if folks want to find that podcast and listen to more of you and your wife, Carol, where do they look? I think the surfer's currently down, so you can't listen to old episodes because a uh, friend of the show sam is the one who runs that server and he's working on some stuff but he's gonna get it back up uh handsfreefootball.com go there all the episodes are there and if you can't listen give it a while and then try again absolutely thank you so much dave you're welcome and a big special thank you to our episode sponsors very special thank you to larry brunswick margaret king tim batson dan neidecker zuri russell steel wolf sterling taylor Wim the Belgian, Misa the Barbarian, Jim Newman, Carol and Dave Brulette, thank Yay. you, Dave. Kelzone, Matt Weber, Kaylin, Jeff Nathan, Christopher Allen, McDowell Horn, and B. Campbell. Thank you wow. guys so much. New names. I love to hear that. I love to see new names yeah. on that list. And if you want to become an episode sponsor, please go to patreon.com slash radio versus the Martians. Click the big red button on podcastalavistababy.com. Otherwise, we will see you folks next month. Podcast La Vista Baby is a production of Radio vs. the Martians and is hosted by Mike Gillis and Casey Doran. This podcast is recorded in beautiful Val Verde in Seattle, Washington. Our chief engineer is Casey Doran and our editor is Mike Gillis. Our original theme music was written and performed by James Wetzel with opening narration by Dan Lombardo. Special thanks to Sam Mulvey, Rob Kelly, James Wetzel, Paul Rue, Tobias Panshin, Scott Kramer, Kyle Hepworth, and Dan Lombardo. Please take the time to rate and review our show on iTunes and Stitcher, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please consider becoming one of our Patreon subscribers. Even just a dollar a month gives you access to exclusive episodes. And finally, you can find us online at podcastalavistababy.com and radioversusthemartians.com. We were robbed or uh, attacked by bandits. I hear they do terrible things to me. 
Oh, man. 